Welcome to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. Thank you all for being with us on this beautiful Saturday morning on your favorite radio station. We appreciate that all of you join us every Saturday morning uh, to talk everything to do about land, farmland throughout the region. And today you are going to absolutely love our show. I'm going to introduce our guests here, John Williams and Jessica Foss with the Fredericks and Byron Law Firm here in just a minute. But like I do every Saturday morning and on our podcast, I want to give you an update on some of Pfeiffer's recent land auctions. Uh, Pfeiffer's recently had a land auction in Clay County that topped around $7,000 an acre. I guess it was in Norman County, just north of Clay County. And then Pfeiffer's was up in uh, Polk County at an auction sale up in Polk County near Trail, Minnesota, uh, reaching record high farmlands up, up there. Uh, some of the deeded land selling for 4000 uh, which translated to over 6000 per cropland in that particular area. The Pfeiffer's team is going to be on the road throughout most of North Dakota this next week uh, selling farmland and farm equipment. And before I forget, I want to thank all of our friends at Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Pfeiffer's Farmland Management for sponsoring our show every single Saturday and also our podcast. You can reach their farmland managers, their farm equipment and land auctioneers, and their real estate brokers at Pfeiffer's.com. Nobody, nobody does it better than the team at Pfeiffer's. Well, folks, again, thank you for joining us here this morning. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, we have an, an education jam-packed show today. Uh, two of my favorites in the, in the entire region, John Williams and Jessica Foss with the Fredericks and Byron Law Firm. Both of them have extensive ex- experience and like Jessica likes to say, John John's older, so he has more extensive experience, right, Jessica? <laughs> so, just a little bit. Yes, a little bit. So we're going to talk about estate planning today. We're going to talk about wills, living trusts, succession planning. Uh, if we have time, we're going to talk about the best ways to structure your farming enterprise or your business enterprise. And keeping in mind, we're not just talking to farmers and ranchers today, but to business people and individuals who all of us have this need. And, and I know when I had John on here about six months ago, uh, we talked about the fact that, you know, we can't afford not to be doing this type of planning. And, you know, I'm probably more guilty about this than anything. I preach it a lot on our show that you need to uh, hire a good attorney, a good tax accountant to get all your planning done because you can't afford not to be doing this. Uh, but, you know, there comes a time, John and Jessica, when you need to take action and you need to start moving because, you know, things happen. I mean, look at uh, the last couple of years. Uh, you know, a lot of us lost, uh, you know, friends and relatives and cooked to COVID or whatever it might be. Or might there might be other circumstances that happen. And you don't have to look very far uh, from from your own situation to see, you know, just certain things that happen to people. But Again, John, thank you. How are you doing? Thanks for being here. I'm doing great, Kevin. Good to see you. Yeah, you too. It's always a pleasure. And John has a background in farming as well. Uh, his family owns farmland throughout the area. And But John has uh, been doing this for quite some time. And uh, Jessica, obviously, a University of North Dakota Law School grad. Thank you for being here. Uh, I was reading some of Jessica's work recently, uh, but does a lot of succession planning and wills and essay planning. How are you doing, Jessica? Very good. Thanks for having yeah, me, Kevin. Yeah, thank you for being here. Certainly do appreciate it. You know, uh, I recently reached out to the both of you, too, because I, you know, I had some personal questions I wanted to visit with you about because... You know, estate planning, it can be a, it can be rather complex, but I think for a lot of people, it's kind of intimidating because you're going, okay, how, how do I even begin to prepare? I want to do estate planning. I want to get a will in place. 
I, I need to make sure that I have the proper risk management place. But how do, how do you, let John, let's start off with you first of all. How do you, you know, when a client comes to you and say, you know what, we have nothing. We have no will. We have all these assets. And like you and I talked before, if you had six, $7 million worth of farmland assets two years ago, now you're pushing up against that $13.5 million estate problem. Uh, you know, where do, how, do you, how do you approach it with people and say, okay, here's where we need to begin. It isn't going to be that difficult of a task. It's not exhaustive. We can get this done in a seamless way. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, Kevin, are um, um, intimidated by getting uh, the process started. And so I always talk to people and I tell them, you know, you need, need to get a referral. Get a referral for an attorney and start the conversation. You just need to start the process. And one of the most important things about finding an attorney that you can work with with your estate planning is making sure that you're comfortable with that individual. Because no matter how much experience he or she has, no matter how smart that they think they are or how much they write or speak about it, you need to have a good rapport. And you need to get comfortable with that person. So I like to start my meetings with clients that haven't done a lot of estate planning, just talking about me as a person, who I am, the style of planning that I do, understanding what type of planning they're looking for, what their ultimate goals are, and then making sure that they understand that, you know, leave the complicated part to me. Just give me big picture goals. I want to see a 30,000 foot overview. And I think that sets a lot of people at ease because they realize that the things that they were probably most nervous about, like, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to figure it out? Um, is going to be up to us as the planners. Yeah. And I would imagine for a lot of people, Jessica, you think about it, you know, they're coming in or, you know, they got to lay everything out in front of you. I mean, here's my life. Here it is good and bad. Uh, here's my assets. Here's my liabilities. Um, I don't have a plan in place. Where do I go now? Yep. And I think, um, I think our firm Fredrickson and Byron does a really good job of making this process as easy as possible for these clients. Um, essay planning is all we do. It's not like we dabble in family law or criminal law. We have a process in place. We have intakes that we send out to them, say, fill these out as best as you can. When they bring those in, that gives us a lot of the information that we need to know and what questions we need to ask. Um, and then we just kind of go from there and, um, we ask them what's on their mind. Do they have any immediate questions? We know it's not a fun topic to talk about. We know that there are difficult decisions to make. We know that it is a very personal process, but what they need to understand that it is 100% confidential. We do not share any of their information with anyone unless they ask us to or tell us to. So I think that puts the clients at ease as well. Yeah, you know, in our business, uh, since we're in the auction business and transaction business with real estate, farm equipment, everything, you know, we see the good and the bad. We see a situation where, you know, everything was planned out in advance, which is, you know, I actually, quite frankly, I see it's kind of, it's rare that people even go through the process. There's a lot of people that don't. So, you know, jumping way ahead, I just want to talk about it, you know, just kind of set everybody up here so I know what we're going to talk about today. Because uh, both of you, you know, John, you've been practicing since 05, Jessica, what, since 07 and 08. Both of you are licensed in North Dakota, Minnesota. You have a lot of clients. You've been doing this a long, long time. You know, when you, I'm sure both of you have stories that are not good stories where somebody had passed away, mom passed away, dad passed away, or the last surviving spouse passed away, and, and now we got a lot of issues. And, you know, I, I'm sure you see that situation more times than you would like, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, Kevin, and and uh, that's why shows like this are are great to get into the public um, because, as you said earlier, people are scared oftentimes to get this started. Either that, or like Jesse was mentioning, you know, um, these are hard topics to talk about. Talking about your own passing is not always a a normal thing. But I would tell you that in in my career, um, probably ninety plus percent of the problems that I have seen on estate administration after someone has passed away has been related to people who didn't do planning um, or their planning became very old and outdated, uh, meaning they weren't taking care of it. And therefore, you have um, children or other beneficiaries who are uh, have one expectation but then realize another once either a will is read or the fact that mom and dad didn't do their will. Um, that is where I see most of the issues with uh, planning is, is the fact that it's just either not done or it's outdated. Go ahead. The other thing I would mention about that is when you're doing your estate planning, for the most part, you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for the loved ones you left behind, right? When you're gone, you're gone. It is how easy or difficult is this process for your family and the loved ones left behind. Yeah, that's a good point. I know because I, I see a lot of different situations where, you know, you, whether it's two siblings or nine siblings or 25 siblings and then their kids and everything, you know, it's amazing. You know, some get along perfect. They would get along without a document, but it's amazing how many don't get along. And then mom and dad did leave a mess. Um, kind of shame on you in a way. Shame on me if I don't do that, right? But when you think about it, I was just reading a, uh, an article recently from Fisher's and Fisher Investment, Ken Fisher's firm in Camus, Washington, and they... They've indicated that only 34% of people 65 and over have a will or a living trust in place. So in other words, so in other words, 65% of us don't have anything in place that are in that 65 or older category. So shame on us for not having that. But the, the situations I see quite frequently are uh, farms, farm families that are selling farms. And then we have an issue where, you know, the, you know two or three siblings want to sell the farm and two or three don't want to sell the farm. Now we got a mess. And, you know, how do we deal with that? Like you say, uh, it's for the, your loved ones, so you want it straightened out. I mean, I always yell to my three, not yell at my kids, but I always say to my three kids, when I'm gone, I don't want you guys fighting over any of this. So, but you know what? I'm not going to leave it to chance because you're leaving it to chance because then they have significant others or they get married and you have another mix here, another dynamic that comes into play. So it's better to lay it all out and maybe approach it from this standpoint, John. You can't always be equal, but you can be fair. Absolutely. And fair isn't equal, and equal isn't fair. Exactly. Right? Yep. That's right. And then the, uh, another thing, often people are, I think, um, frozen by the fact that they don't have the perfect plan in their mind. And um, I don't know who this quote is attributed to, but um, I use it a lot in my meetings, and that is don't let the perfect get in the way of the pretty good. Um, planning is... Uh, an evolving thing. It may not be perfect the first time you do it, but as you continue to go through the process, it'll get better each time. Like they say, perfect is the enemy of good, right? So folks, you're listening to Jessica Foss and John Williams with Fredrickson Byron Law Firm. They do a, a great job of estate planning and succession plannings. They're with us for the balance of the show. And before we go to our first break, I want to thank again the friends of ours at Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Pfeiffer's Farmland Management for sponsoring our show and our podcast every week. Nobody does it better than the team at Pfeiffer's. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll be right back after this break. $1,000 bid, $2,000 wares, $1,750 here now, too. 
Sold your way for seventeen hundred and fifty. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. In studio today, John Williams and Jessica Foss, uh, estate planners, succession planners, risk management planners with the Fredrickson Byron Law Firm. They're going to be giving out their contact information here in a little bit. Uh, we didn't give anything out the first segment. We'll, we'll As we close the second segment, we'll get you some information. But I have extensive experience working with both of them. And I tell you what, it's just been a joy and delight to getting to know them professionally and personally. But they do a super job out of their Fargo office here. But, you know, they're in two states up here where they're both licensed, Minnesota and North Dakota. So whatever side of the river you're living on, or you let me know, and we can certainly make sure that you are in touch with them. But, you know, Jessica, before we went to the break, we were talking about, um, you know, John brought up a really good point. I kind of paraphrased that that, you know, perfect is the enemy of good in many, many ways. But, you know, it's... Once you develop this plan, whether it's a, a will or a succession planning or whatever it might be, living trust or whatever, the main thing is going into this, you got to probably go into it thinking, I'm not going to be here forever. So how are we going to structure this? Uh, because like I said, our clients, a lot of times we have multiple siblings. I mean, think about it. Baby boomers had big families. I mean, there's six in our family and I have a lot of friends that have six, eight, ten siblings. Um, how do you structure this? So if you want to sell your farm when mom and dad are gone, how are you going to sell it or how should it be structured? Because you're going to have two or three that don't want to sell, maybe one that does want to sell or because our, our positions in life are all different and they change overnight. You could be financially independent one day and then all of a sudden you get terminally ill and two, three years later you're broke. So again, how do you, how do you go into that or, or what's a good way to look at this as a, as a planner? Um, John, do you want to start with minority rule versus minor or majority rule with a partnership or tenants in common versus joint tenants? Where do you think we should start there? I, I think either case. I think, I think generally speaking, one of the first things, you know, if there's um, multiple tracts of farmland, often we talk with clients, if, if you have three or four children, um, are you going to leave them with separate tracks or are you going to leave them the, all of the tracks together? Um, some people say, well, I want this 80 to go to this child, that quarter to go to that child. Um, and so uh, that's often a starting point because what Jesse's talking about as co-ownership of farmland, often in the form of tenant and common ownership or in a partnership, it is more of a feature of uh, a singular track for the benefit of multiple people. And um, that's kind of a philosophical decision to be made at first. But um, after they've decided that, then we can talk about the pros and cons of either one. And go ahead, Jesse, you can start there. Yeah, so when John's mentioning you're going to leave this track to the oldest child, this track to a separate child, um, they're easy easy ways to do that um, and then obviously you create less room f for with friction with the other children they're each in control of their own piece they want to buy they want to sell who do they want to rent to what do they want to do the improvements all of that is fine right if they want to have multiple ownership we might have some clients that come in and say I want this farmland to stay in the family for as long as possible that's when we might suggest um, a partnership right because what you can do with a partnership is you put all of the farmland into a partnership. Say you have four kids, they can all be equal partners, 
but then the partnership will lay out, okay, what do we need to happen to have this farmland sold? Maybe it's unanimous consent, maybe it's majority, maybe it's 70%. Versus if mom and dad leaves the farmland to all four children in their individual names, all of the farmland, not separate tracts, all it takes is one person to cause a sale of that farmland, right? They go to their siblings and say, buy me out. They don't want to. So then they go to a judge and they say, partition this land. The land is, the judge is going to say, I can't possibly do that. We're going to auction up the land for sale, right? Which nobody wants. Um, And so I'll let John talk more about the partnership. But I think another agreement that really helps with this is having a buy-sell piece in place for farmland, which you can put into the partnership agreement where everybody agrees, okay, if somebody wants out, How does that happen? Who makes the offer? What's the offer price or how do we value that and how is that paid for? Um, And so buy-sell agreements can be really helpful too because then everybody knows how this works if one person wants out. It's not fighting among siblings on who gets to buy what and what the what the price should be. That's a that's a really good point you know and I know in our business a lot of times um, well we use the phraseology that you know if if you own it common interest it's uh, it's an undivided interest. Everybody has an undivided interest in the property. So you have four siblings. You got you got five quarters of land. Each sibling owns twenty five percent of every quarter, versus a divided interest. Where as you stated, John, uh, okay, we got four quarters of land. You each get one quarter. Uh, but now you got to you got to try and determine the value of every quarter because they may not all be different. Like we were talking earlier. Uh, it might be in treated equal. That quarter's worth 300000 Wow, geez, my sibling got a quarter that's worth 350000 You're being fair, but maybe it's going to be really, really difficult to do it, to try and do it so it's equal for everybody unless you have some cash or whatever, but you got to try and do that valuation up front. But, you know, I know from our standpoint, when we get into a situation like that, it's easier for an auctioneer or for a person who's selling land uh, if it's divided because then that way, if a sibling wants to sell it, they can't. Otherwise, you got to try and get everybody on board or like you say, they may not want to get on board, but just for the sake of everybody getting along in the future, because it can cause a lot of friction. So I want to get back to the partnership thing, though, but I just wanted to bring that up quickly. But on the partnership deal that you brought up, uh, Jessica, two questions I have is, so do you create that partnership when you're still alive, or does it kick in when you pass away? And is there also a tax benefit in your estate uh, for you to put that partnership in place? I'll, I'll take that, Kevin. Um Generally speaking, these partnerships are established at at mom and dad's generation one um, for purposes of being inherited by the children um, after mom and dad pass away. Um, That way the structure is in place and the shared ownership that's going to be had by the kids is already established. Um, Oftentimes that's a way for parents to put together things um, provisions like Jesse was talking about by sell provisions sitting inside those partnership agreements or what it's going to take for someone inside that partnership to be able to sell it or to vote for the partnership to sell. So um, typically they're established beforehand and there, there's definitely um, an, a lot of good reasons to create partnerships. Um, there's a tax reason um, and there's also an asset protection reason. Uh, in, in both North Dakota and Minnesota, um, it's very hard for a creditor of an individual partner to reach into the partnership to take partnership uh, land if there were some kind of claim against them or a judgment against them. And um, the partnership, uh, when you go to appraise a, 
especially a limited partnership interest, if you've got a non-voting interest as part of the partnership, there can be uh, some compression of value for purposes of estate taxes. And I'll let mm-hmm. you talk, Jesse, a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the, the compression comes. So let's say there's $4 million of farmland. It gets appraised at $4 million. There's four kids. You'd think each one of the kids has a million dollars worth of asset there, right? Um, but when you get that appraised, you don't actually own farmland. You own a one-fourth interest in a partnership. You get a business valuation to determine what that one-fourth partnership interest is worth. And when you do that, you will see a discount for lack of marketability because nobody wants to come in and pay dollar for dollar for to own a property with three other people. And uh, lack of control. With a 25% interest, you don't have control, Right. So that might turn your $1 million worth of farmland into, say, 750000 That's great for estate tax purposes, right? So we have just compressed your estate by $250,000 just by putting it into a partnership. So the mom and dad would be, let's say both mom and dad were alive, they would, they would be a, a, an active partner in the partnership too at that time? Typically, mom and dad start off as the general partner controlling the partnership, and often um, they will own the limited partnership as well. But as you see, as time goes on, especially if there's an on-farm heir, they'll start to turn over that general partnership interest typically to the on-farm heir. So that on-farm heir starts to control, but they still might have the value. Our typical structure for a partnership might be a 2% general partnership interest and a 98% limited. So mom and dad can own as much as 98%, but give up the control. Folks, you're listening to John Williams and Jessica Foss with the Fredrickson Byron Law Firm. Man, we're just touching the surface. We could talk all day. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. I want to thank all of you for joining us. We've got two segments to go, and Jessica and John have agreed to stick around. Folks, we'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. I want to thank you all again for being us, being with us here again on this beautiful Saturday morning. If you want to re-listen to this show, you can certainly do so on our podcast at either Apple or Spotify. All you need to do is go to the Pfeiffer's website at Pfeiffer's.com. Click onto our radio banner, and that'll take you to all of our previous 80-plus podcasts. And you can listen again uh, for all the information that John Williams and Jessica Foss from the Fredericks and Byron Law Firm are providing for all of us today. I'm taking this kind of selfishly because I'm asking a lot of questions I want to ask. And I'm getting free advice today, and so are you. Uh, this is probably the beginning of the process for a lot of you because we talked about it earlier. We can't afford not to be doing this type of planning uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, we're going to talk about a couple different things in this segment. We're going to talk about premarital assets and that type of thing, uh, but also about liability. So let's say, for instance, now you've uh, you've had a very successful career. You built up a nice asset base. Uh, what can be done now? And I'll throw this at either one of you, whoever wants to handle this. What can you do as an individual or as a company if you want to get, you know, because, you know, a lot of it. We, now it kind of transitions to, at this stage of your career or whatever, tax planning and then also risk management. How can I establish either some sort of entity or whatever it might be to protect the assets that I have? Well, and that goes back to like the um, partnership that John talked about. The, we call them a triple LP, the limited liability, limited partnership. 
Um, there's liability protection there for the partners, both the general partners and the limited partners. Um, now there is different sort of liability issues out there too as well, like from creditors or divorces, ex-spouses, right? Um, one of the biggest um, tools that we push that we think is extremely important um, but probably the least favorite to talk with our clients about is the premarital agreement. So if you yourself are not married and are thinking about married, you've got farmland or any sort of family assets that you want protected, you've got to have that premarital agreement. And what we see more often with our clients, husband, wife come in, they have family farmland that has been in the family for 100 years. The first thing we're telling them is, by the way, you, if you have kids, you have to tell them they have to have a premarital agreement, okay? And you start telling them that, so the sooner the better. So you tell them when they're 17, so then when the time does come, it doesn't matter if it's, it doesn't look like they don't like who you're marrying um, or that they don't trust you. It's just, it has to be this way. Because, for example, in North Dakota, without a premarital agreement, the second you get married, every single asset is a marital asset. And if there is a divorce, that is divided equitably. Not equally, equitably. And a judge decides what that is. You tell me what equitably means. I don't know. I don't know if John knows. Nope. Nobody knows, right? It's up in the air. So typically what we'll do is we'll prepare a premarital agreement for these younger children or um, you know, older generations getting married, second marriages, and we will define what is a non-marital asset and what is a marital asset. And the biggest thing we're trying to do there is any family asset inherited or gifted or that you had prior to the marriage is a non-marital asset. And in the event of death or divorce, it is off the table. You take your non-marital assets, your spouse takes their non-marital assets, and then we figure out how to divide the marital assets, right? And the agreement can say whatever you want it to say. So you might say, okay, if there is a divorce, the marital assets are divided equally or they're going to be divided based on contribution. Um, joint, you know, upon death, marital property, all of the marital property goes to the surviving spouse and it can go to them outright or it can go to them in a spouse. Um, you can even put predictions in there that, that upon a divorce, no alimony is paid. And that's because that alimony payment might take away from those non-marital assets like the farmland. Those are really, really important if you want to keep those family assets in, um, in the family. And, John, I don't know if you've got anything to add on that. Yeah. It, I would say that um, asset protection has become an extremely significant part of our practice. Uh, the federal estate tax exemption, currently $12,060,000 per person. Not everyone listening has a $24 million estate. Uh, not everyone we work with has an estate that large. So... Protecting family assets and especially family farms um, are where we spend most of our time. And a premarital agreement, um, I think of it like if the farmland is what you're trying to protect, think of it as building a castle. The castle walls essentially are the premarital agreement. You've got one chance to build it and you've only got one time. Uh, Jesse and I talk about postmarital agreements, which do exist and are enforceable in North Dakota and Minnesota. Uh, but I talk about them four or five times a year, and I've done two in my career. Uh, they, they don't really exist. So you've kind of got one chance to build that out, that wall. I would say the second tier of protection, that moat around the castle, if you will, is often how you inherit property. Often if uh, parents leave assets 
to children in a trust. It creates an, another layer of divorce and creditor protection. And then think of your forward scouts protecting the castle, um, maybe as your entity, the triple LP agreement um, that um, has statutory protections associated with the asset. So if you've got that farmland sitting in that castle with the moat and the forward scouts, you've got three layers of protection. It's really hard to lose that. But the one that's always hard to get is that premarital agreement because you've got one chance. And get it up front. Like you say, it was the, the part that kind of caught me a little bit, Jessica, when you were talking about it is you not only do you do it as a, as a father or a mother, but you want your children to do it as they enter into a marriage too. Right. Because they're going to be eventually inheriting all these assets. So that kind of caught me a little bit by surprise going, okay, I didn't even think that far down the chain, right? So Right. You know, yeah. so I'll have clients, they'll say, well, our kids are... 15, 16, 17, I'm like, not too early. They're going to be dating. The sooner you tell them, the better, because then there are no issues about you just don't like my fiance. Holy, you threw me for a loop. They might mention to the girlfriend or boyfriend ahead of time. My parents have told me this since day one. Um, and they are really, they're just really tough to talk about. Um, but you, once you explain to the two getting married, and they each have to have their own attorney, once you can get through that tough part, um, it makes a lot of sense. You know, we don't need to protect the marital assets. What those two people grow together during their marriage, fine, do what you want with that. You can pretend it's as if there is no premarital agreement. All we're trying to do here is protect the family assets. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, you know, started at that age, start young. And so they have an understanding of that. Um, another thing I want to talk to you about before we go to our break is, uh, you know, we get a little bit more into risk management. And I know you can do some of this with insurance or whatever, but uh, I have some friends that uh, they belong to uh, the Hutterite colony in the United States. I'm not going to say what state they're in, but this is a, a fairly, you know, try and get as close to the to the facts as I possibly can. But they had an accident uh, a number of years ago now where uh, the the accident was so it was obviously their fault. Uh, and, and a couple of other people, uh, another party, they were injured pretty severely and they were uh, they were served with a lawsuit, which was about well in excess of their insurance liability, and I'm talking millions and millions, $10 million or more, uh, but they settled out of court in this case, and I'm, and I'm making a very long story short, but they settled out of court because they figured they were going to lose. They settled out of court on top of their liability coverage. They wrote out a check for $5 million. I mean, I think that scares a lot of people because a lot of people are, you know what? You know, we're on the road a lot. We're traveling. God dang it. My kids are texting or they're doing whatever. What if we cause an accident and all I have is maybe a $2 million underlying coverage, maybe $5 million in umbrella coverage or $10 million or whatever, but it's not enough. Because uh, in this day and age, you never know. I mean, it could be, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, if, if you maim somebody, if you cripple them and they live another 40 years, that's a burden on that victim or whatever it might be. So again, how do you, is there any way you can protect yourself beyond insurance in a case like that? Certainly, um, Kevin, and, that, and that's where, um, first and foremost, we always tell our clients when, uh, insurance can be a first line of defense when it comes to those, um, those types of claims, certainly personal injury, car accidents, things like that. Um, but we always recommend that clients, without doing any specific additional underwriting, purchase the maximum umbrella coverage. Um, often that is that $5 million number that you mentioned that you can get $5 million worth of coverage on top of your underlying coverage. Um, it's not very expensive. Umbrella coverage is typically fairly inexpensive. Um, second layer of that to add to protection, um, again, 
uh, had this, um, you know, fictional person who was in a car accident and had a large judgment against them. Let's say they burned through all of the uh, coverage that was there. Um, if the farmland or the assets that they're looking at protecting are owned in an entity of some sort, an LLC or a partnership, at least in North Dakota and Minnesota, even if they had exceeded their coverages and there was a judgment placed against that person, all that that judgment creditor can get against the asset that is a partnership interest is what's called a charging order or the right to receive the distributions. They can't reach into that partnership or into that LLC and take it. And so oftentimes that's a key feature that we do with clients that are worried about um, asset protection in the form of claims like that is to create that entity uh, and, it, and it can go, it works very well. Folks, you're listening to John Williams and Jessica Foss with the Fredrickson and Byron Law Firm. A lot of good information here for structuring the correct entity, uh, protecting assets, having in place the proper risk management, but then also succession planning and estate planning, wills and living trusts. We could be here for days and days talking. I've heard them both speak at seminars before, and they do a fantastic job out of the Fredrickson Byron Law Firm. They're both not only attorneys, they're shareholders in the firm. Uh, they take their work very seriously. They enjoy it. They love working with their clients, and nobody does it better than these two. And we're going to give out their information here on the final segment here. Uh, but before we go to our final break, I want to thank all of our friends at Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty and Pfeiffer's Farmland Management for sponsoring our show and our podcast every week. You can get a hold of their farmland managers, their farmland and equipment auctioneers, or their real estate agents at 877 877- 700-4099 or go to their website and click on to their contact our team section of their website and they'll be glad to give you a free consultation whether it's managing assets or selling them they nobody nobody does it better than the team at pipers folks you're listening to america's land auctioneer i'm kevin piper we'll be right back after this break been nobody gonna do no 35 and i have sold it to you right there get bird just great bye On here now, fifty thousand dollar bid now, twenty five bid thirty. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. I want to thank Jessica Foss and John Williams for being with us the entire show today. We're going to dig right into it because we got a lot of information to cover. So uh, off air, we were talking just a little bit, Jessica and John, about uh, you know when we sell farmland. Obviously, people will say, "Hey, put my name on the purchase agreement." And the words and or signs, so we'll figure it all out at closing, how we're going to put it on the deed uh, when the warranty deed is drafted or whatever. But, you know, can one of you explain to us what's the difference between holding real estate, tenants in common versus joint tenancy? And do you have a preference one way or another? Sure, Kevin. So I'll take that. Um, the two most common ways to own farmland when there's more than one person. So say husband and wife or brothers or dad and son, right, which you see that with farmland common. If there's two owners and the deed does not specifically say jointly or with joint tenants, then they own that property as tenants in common, which means, so um, if John and his wife, Megan, own farmland as tenants in common, okay, he owns a 50% interest in that farmland and she owns a 50% interest in that farmland, okay? When he dies, that 50% is handled pursuant to his will if he has one, um, or the laws of intestacy if he doesn't, right? Or his est- however his estate plan is done. But if John and Megan own that farmland as joint tenants, that means 
when the first one dies, I'm going to kill John off first here because Megan's healthier, okay, and prettier, then that is all automatically owned by Megan as the survivor, okay? And so I am always surprised by the number of clients that we have, whether it's brothers or it's um, cousins or it's uncle and nephew or it's father and son that co-own land together, and they don't know how they own it. Because the title company doesn't then ask them. They don't really understand it. So that's usually one of the first things we do. When they bring in that intake that says we own this many acres, we'll pull a copy of the deed if they haven't brought it. It's very easy for us to get. And we will go through and say, okay, you own this land as joint tenants. You own this land as tenants in common. For example, we had a client come in. He owned a ton of farmland with his brother. And about 75% of it, he owned with his brother as joint tenants. The other 25% were owned as tenants in common, which means the tenants in common, when brother dies, he's able to leave that to his wife in his will or however he wants to, right? But the 75% that the brothers owned together as joint tenancy was all going to the surviving brother. That is not what they wanted. That is not what they intended. They had no clue that the land was titled that way. So it's really important for people to understand how they co-own farmland. Is there a preference or a recommendation that you would normally have, or is that is it suited for everybody individually? It's really suited for everybody individually. It depends on the estate planning goal. If, it, if it's an asset that we know we want to go to wife outright, um, we'll put that as in joint tenants. But maybe husband, again, I always kill the husbands off first. Maybe he says, I don't want my wife to have the farmland outright in her individual name. I want to leave it into a trust for her. In that case, we will title it either all in husband's name so that it all goes into the trust for wife or half in husband's trust and half in wife's name as tenants in common so that your half goes into trust for your wife, not automatically outright to her. Okay, so now let's say, for instance, we've established, and we can go back to the, I suppose, to the last deed to determine how it's held. Mm -hmm. So whatever deed is filed the last at the courthouse, we can find out whether it's tenants in common or joint tenancy. Now we go in and we create that partnership that we talked about earlier. Uh, how do you, do you have to have a deed now that transfers it to the partnership? Yeah, Kevin, that's how you would transfer property from any type of ownership in your individual name into that partnership. Um, that's typically a non-taxable transfer to establish that partnership. Um, and um, that's also how we break the joint tenancy. So in Jesse's, uh, in that mutual client that we had there, um, in order to fix the problem that was, oh my goodness, um, this land, 75% of this land is going to go to my brother if I happen to die in a car accident tomorrow. Um, we hurried up and got a deed prepared and one of the owners can break the joint tenancy. So often a lot of this stuff is very easy to fix. It's just that the results can be you know, dramatic uh, if you have it set up the wrong way. So again, for all of you that are listening, uh, again, uh, not to uh, cause any paranoia, but it may be good to look at the last deed that you have on file to try and determine whether it's tenants in common or joint tenancy to make sure that it's done the way you would like and then put the proper planning in place. It's just like in our firm, a lot of times at Pfeiffer's, we, we recommend people to get a warranty deed when you transfer ownership because the seller is basically warranting to you marketability. No liens, no encumbrances, no clouds in the title. You can quick claim anything, quick claim deed anything with mortgages or liens or encumbrances in place. So again, go back and look and see what you have because again, Quick claim deeds and warranties, they could cause issues too. Absolutely. That warranty is so important when it comes to a sale because you've paid that person you know, a sizable amount of money um, for what they're transferring to you. And without any type of warranty, there's no, gear, you know, there's no claim that could be made that they gave you something um, inappropriate. Um, 
most of what Jesse and I do with our funding typically comes in the form of a quit claim deed because we're not doing a bunch of title work to confirm what ownership is, but we just want the asset, whatever the individual owns, we're not altering what they own, we're just altering how they own it. And especially if it's amongst family or for planning purposes like this, you can do that. But but if you're buying something from a neighbor or a cousin or a friend and you, they're going to give you a quick claim deed, you're like, I better do some title work to make sure that, that it's not you know it's not encumbered with something yep. or a cloud or something on the yep. title. I, you know, if I'm buying something from a neighbor who's not a relative, I don't think there's a chance I'm buying that without a warranty deed. You know that house you bought from me, did you check that over? <laughs> I did check that over and it was done really well. Hey, good. I'm glad and you know I got a really good deal out of you, you on did. that one, Kevin. You did, yeah. You've made it even better. So <laughs> Now, folks, we haven't talked to how people can get a hold of you. John Williams, you've been doing this a long time. Jessica, you've been at this for quite some time, too. You both do a lot of succession planning, a lot of structuring of the right entity, you know, wills and living trusts. What's the best way for people to reach out to both of you? Yeah, I would say that the best way to reach out to both Jesse and myself are to call our office. Our telephone number is 701-237-8200, 701-237-8200, and you can ask for either Jesse or myself. Uh, another great way to find us to look us up online and check out our bios is uh, our website at www.fredlaw.com, F-R-E-D-L-A-W.com. I would also say too, um, our assistant, our scheduling assistant, who is really good at getting a hold of us and making sure we return calls is Alicia. Um, and her direct dial is 701-237-8231. Jessica Foss and John Williams with the Fredrickson Byron Law Firm in Fargo, North Dakota. And both of them are licensed to practice law in, in North Dakota and Minnesota. They do a phenomenal job. Our firm has a lot of experience with both of them uh, working uh, day in and day out. Before we leave, Jessica, any final words of wisdom for our listeners? No, I would just say um, realize this is a really important topic. And I think that we, our firm, does a really good job at making this as easy as possible for you. I know it can be intimidating. We'll make you feel really comfortable about asking questions. There's no such thing as a dumb questions. And really, you tell us a plan that you want to make happen, and we can do that. If you don't have a plan in mind, we can throw a bunch of suggestions and recommendations out there for you. Well, thank you for being on the show. Appreciate it. John, any last-minute thoughts? No, I'll echo what Jesse says and, and what we said to kind of start the show, which is make sure you're comfortable, get the process started early. Um, Jesse and I um, have different personalities, so we work differently. Um, but that's a great thing that our firm has. We have two other partners that do what we do. And if someone at our law firm wasn't working for you, again, make sure you're comfortable. We refer to lots of folks as well. Sounds great. And you both had a great mentor, Bill Guy, one of the best ever. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely His name just came up at our staff meeting again uh, this week. I mean, we a lot of people talking about him, and he actually – He's hung on to a few clients, I hear, so the select few that are pretty lucky. But he was as good as they come, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Folks, thanks again. Uh, John Williams and Jessica Foss with the Fredrickson Byron Law Firm. Appreciate them being with us today. If you have any questions or anything, uh, reach them, or you can call me at 877-700-4099 or email me at info at pifers.com, and I'll transfer those messages over to John Williams and Jessica Foss. Before we uh, sign off today, again, I want to thank all of our friends at Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty and Pfeiffer's Farmland Managers. Their farmland managers are busy wrapping up their fall season. Their farmland and equipment auctioneers and farm real estate agents are there every day for you, whether you're selling or buying farmland. 
nobody does it better. I can guarantee you that. And you can reach them at 877-700-4099 or go to pipers.com. If you want to listen to Jessica and John's show again on podcast, go to pipers.com, click on our radio banner, and this will air all in our podcast into infinity, basically. Folks, you've been listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll look forward to being with you next week. One, 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 one